These days, so many podcast hosts just riff through unprepared segments until they get to the next ad break for pills they know nothing about, cheap razors, and whatever else they can get a buck from. But the Higher Side Chats does it differently. We succeed or fail on the quality of the content and your desire to hear more of it. So you're about to hear another free first hour episode that's here to prove the two hour shows are worth subscribing for. Five shows a month for just $8. Members get a mobile friendly website, a decade of archives, a dedicated RSS feed for the best podcast apps, and a lot deeper discussion than a single hour can allow for. Sponsor free with more for thee. Get a free seven-day trial of THC Plus at thehiresidechats.com. Enjoy! In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Higher Side Chats. All right, riding the waves of the ever-choppy conspiracy from sunny San Diego, I'm Greg Carlwood. And it seems the Matrix is glitching, the Tower of Babel is starting to lean, and the big machine is getting rusty. Investments in freefall, currencies in decline, creativity gone from the corporate arts, and the political playbook running out of pages. Nothing feels fresh, productive, or even stable. But this is not the world itself. It's the techno-industrial artificial overlay of the planet's puppet masters, and it was always going to fail. Outside of the smart cities, beyond the range of the 5G network, and when the screens are turned off, how different is it from how it's always been? Well, it's a question worth asking and really the only outlook that makes a person think things are all going to be okay. But they are certainly unstable, with many folks eerily unaware. In an uncertain era, as we turn to those who read between the lines, connect the dots, and see the signs of the times like my friend and yours, the great Chris Knowles. He's an ultra-rare member of the THC double-digit club, joining us for lucky number 11. There's almost nothing we haven't talked about, and wouldn't you know, so many of these previous threads have woven new layers since we last talked, and it's going to be great to get into them. He's the author of excellent books like the Wild Ride novel He Will Live Up in the Sky and the collection of his best from the blog The Endless American Midnight, Dispatches from the Secret Sun, as well as the classic Our Gods Wear Spandex, The Secret History of Comic Book Heroes, The Complete X-Files, Beyond the Series, The Myths and the Movies, The Secret History of Rock and Roll, The Mysterious Roots of Modern Music, and a few others. His latest venture is the Secret Sun Institute of Advanced Synchromysticism via Patreon, where, for the low, low price of $3 a month, you can partake in his multi-hour exposés on all things conspiratorial, synchromystic, and strange. Always a pleasure to have him back, the synchromystic tapestry tracker, web of reality recorder, and woke virus vaccinator. Chris, my man, welcome back. How the hell are you? Oh, I'm great, Greg. That's another one of your great introductions. I didn't realize I'm in the double digit club, though. That's pretty amazing. I feel very, very honored. <laughs> yeah, man, I, I really think it's just you and Gordon, but it is a small club regardless if there's one or two others in there. But 
You make it feel like it's not even work. You're one of my favorite people to talk to when it all just seems like too much. Obviously, in that intro, I tried to focus on the distinction between the world itself and the big machine because everything artificial, everything of the matrix, let's say, to use the cliche, seems like it is falling apart. But that doesn't mean the world is ending. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's a long road to 2030, so I got to pace myself. But it's hard to be hopeful right now. It's hard to not feel exhausted by it all, isn't it? Not for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't feel exhausted at all. I kind of feel like I was born for these times. Fair. You know, I have this new idea that I've been mulling over. I call it post-gnosis. And it's just basically like taking like the whole Gnostic ideas, you know, of the fullness and falling from the fullness and being alienated on an alien world and realizing that what it really is, is that the natural world is the fullness. You know, that's the pleroma. Mm -hmm. And it's that matrix world, that artificial world, that's the false reality. That's the demiurge reality. So. I mean, we're in it. We have access to the fullness, you know? And there are things, there are energies and ideas and powers and spirits just flying around us all the time. We just need to tune into their station, basically. I, I think the problem that we have as a culture is that we allow the matrix's propaganda channels to determine our reality rather than splitting off and getting in touch with that fullness. But, you know, that fullness that the Gnostics talk about is there for us if you're willing to take the time to access it. So this is like my post-gnosis because it's like, it's not like, you know, the fullness or the pleroma is some alien world or some other dimension. You know, it's the world that we become alienated from. We're not aliens, we're alienated. We become so alienated from the real world that when we get these messages that the natural world is sending us all the time, we see it as alien. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. And whenever I have a guest say something like being born for these times, I do agree. And I do get a charge from that. Maybe I'm attributing new dad effects to the work incorrectly. But in terms of things falling apart, I mean, you have been banging this drum for a long time, but now we have more data to support that all the elite ventures are on the downslide. How bad is it really for big tech and the woke infected, would you say? Well, those are a couple different issues that we need to separate so we can unpack them. You know, basically what it boils down to is empire, okay? So when you talk about big tech, big tech is just an arm. It's just a wing of the imperial project, okay? It's not, Despite what a lot of people think, Google and Apple and, and all these companies, they don't run the show. They're just part of the show. You know, they're wings of it. They're the technological wing of the Imperial Project. And the Imperial Project always has, you know, like an egg timer on its head. It's happened throughout history. You know, empires, you know, I've heard people say that, you know, empires usually only last 250 years or so, right? So if that's the case, then we're coming up to the end of our run. I think that the empire itself is just going to morph. I think the empire in this present form is probably headed for the rocks. 
but that doesn't mean that it won't somehow change shape and so on. But there now is serious competition, you know, the serious rivalry with what's, you know, the world's island, the Asian countries that are just tired of being colonies and being stepping stools for the Western imperial powers, China and Russia, obviously, but India as well. They're kind of getting a little tired of chafing under the uh, harness of the Western imperial superstructure. So I think what we're seeing now is just inevitable. And a lot of it has to do with political realities, military realities, technological realities. You know, the empire was reborn when the British Empire fell and then it was reborn in, in the West, you know, under the American Empire. And because America was separated from the fields of battle, you know, the theater of war in World War II, it was able to keep its factories running and, and not have to spend all these time, money, and resources rebuilding itself. So we had a huge head start on the rest of the world. And, you know, the whole communist project kept a lot of these countries held back. And it obviously stunted their technological growth for quite some time. You know, but now they're catching up. And the greatest power in the world, the U.S. Navy, which I keep saying, and if you talk to anybody who's got any sort of expertise in these areas, they'll agree with me. You know, it's like you rule the world by ruling the waves and the U.S. Navy rules the waves. But right now, the Asian powers are building, you know, the Belt and Road Initiative to take total advantage of the, the world island, that, that Eurasian giant super continent without having to worry about getting past the U.S. Navy and so on. But they're also developing weapons, ultrasonic weapons and so on, and carrier killers to really trump the U.S. Navy's great advantage, which is these carrier fleets, which are just basically giant military fortresses on the waves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the point you made about empires lasting about 250 years <clears throat> I definitely agree with that point. And on the blog, you've been going at these current elite or parasite class as really just the spoiled rich kids of those who came before them. And maybe that multi-generational aspect is part of why things collapse, because the kids of these people who set this stuff up, they don't know what the hell they're doing. And so it all starts to unravel. But another point I was going to ask you about is you know, what's coming out of the World Economic Forum and the gospel of Klaus equates <laughs> some of the turmoil that we're going through as an engineered collapse, especially in the West. And there's this idea that they got to take down America for the Great Reset to rebuild a global nation loyal to them. So it's sometimes hard to equate some of the troubling data as elite offspring incompetence versus working towards their downstream goal of collapsing this empire in an engineered way. What do you think about that? I mean, are both kind of true? Are people just kind of giving the elite too much credit when they're really just running us into the rocks? What do you say? Yeah, I think they're making it up as they go along, to be honest <laughs> with you. No, I really do. And if you watch those Davis, uh, Davis, the Davos yeah. conferences, you really get a sense that these people just really aren't that bright. 
I think that the conspiracy sphere, so much of it grows out of a millennial apocalyptic or millenarian apocalyptic fundamentalist Christian view. So it, it always tended to overinflate the confidence of these global elites. You know, it's kind of like pro wrestling. You need a credible villain, you know, to build up the hero. Mm -hmm. But I just want to backtrack a little because, again, there's so many moving parts here. And I think the, the many moving parts are part of the problem. All right. Part of the problem is this things have just gotten too complicated. Things have gotten too complex. There's too much information out there. There are too many people out there trying to influence the system, trying to interject their will upon the system. And it's just impossible to keep track of. And I think what we're seeing now is that like the chickens are really coming home to roost. Okay. You know, we had a situation back in the seventies where the American empire was really seen to be on the rocks, you know, and there was the cold war. So so much of our resources were spent dealing with these rivalries from Russia and China. And, you know, what Nixon had decided to do was basically to buy off China or to sell out to China and basically ship all our jobs over to their prison camps, you know, their work camps. So that was able to keep the manufacturing income afloat, you know, and then we had all the outsourcing and so on. We had all these factories being moved overseas, you know, where workers are making pennies on the dollars and so on. But basically what we had was a series of scams, okay? I mean, really, just a series of scams. And the thing is, is that if you read it like a really good Roman historian like Will Durant, you're going to see that none of this is new. We're just playing the old Roman playbook over and over again. But everything about our economy and our culture has just become fake. It's just fake. And not only is it fake, but it's just incredibly bloated, you know? And, you know, you talk about that Davos level, the Schwab level, and these people are just inveterate liars, but you can only lie so long before the lies catch up to you because you have to tell lies to get over the lies. You know, it's like you have to tell lie upon lie upon lie. And one of the things that I say is that these days, if you're a person of any kind of prominence, it's almost impossible for you to keep secrets. Okay. It's impossible to keep secrets because there are just so many eyes on you. And it's very hard to hide, particularly your malfeasance. And that's why the establishment corporate press has gotten so aggressive about quote unquote disinformation and quote unquote conspiracy theory, all of which they're not targeting your more fringe types. What they're targeting is people who are questioning the mechanics of empire and the abuse of empire by the people within it. Okay. So we had a situation back in the 70s where the system was really on the rocks, right? And we had Nixon basically outsourcing a lot of our labor, a lot of our manufacturing costs to these prison camps in China. But another thing was happening simultaneously, and that was just huge influxes of drugs from South and Central America, okay? And what we had is that we had these cartels just building up huge fortunes because of the 
appetite for cocaine in the 70s and 80s, okay? And I know you want to talk about Johnny Depp, so that sort of ties into Blow, and you want to talk about Bruce Willis and aphasia, and, and that to me, you know, a lot, a lot of these kind of neurological diseases, a lot of them can be traced to cocaine abuse, okay? Hmm. So there was this huge pool, just billions upon billions of dollars, American U.S. dollars, right, that had to be laundered. They had to be accounted for. I mean, even cash, especially in that amount, needs to be accounted for. You have to give some sort of excuse where it came from. Right. So a lot of it went to Hollywood, okay? And that's when we started seeing $100 million, $200 million allegedly spent on these movies. And then a lot of it went to big tech. So a lot of this cocaine blood money is coming into the American system and it needs to be laundered. So what the Reagan administration did, because they were supporting the Contras in Nicaragua, who are you know huge drug dealers, and you know also the CIA under William Casey, there was all this coke money that needed to be laundered. So what the Reagan administration did is that they deregulated all the financial markets, you know Wall Street and all these capital funds and hedge funds and all these kind of things. They're all deregulated, which basically meant. Nobody was going to keep an eye on what they were doing. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It was like deregulation is like a fancy sort of code word for like, do whatever you want with all this laundered money. We won't ask you any questions. Okay. Right. And the problem is now Big Pharma has taken a lot of the cartel's money away, you know, because now we have edibles and speed and fentanyl. <laughs> opioids you know all the fentanyl yeah all the drugs that you would have had like cocaine cocaine's been replaced by stimulants you know you have over-the-counter mushrooms in this state probably in your state as well and all obviously edibles and also opioids okay so big pharma saw that the money that all these cartels were making and they said, we want to cut of that action. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? They, we want in on that. So then they started buying off the regulatory, you know, what's called regulatory capture. They started buying off all the regulatory agencies and allowing, getting the brakes taken off, you know, for instance, opioids in the 90s. And, you know, we've seen the effect of that, you know, the human wreckage of that decision. So basically what happened is that a lot of that funny money started to run out. So when you look at, for instance, your state of California, and you're talking about how the taxes are going up and so on. Well, the taxes are going up and so on because no matter what you see on paper, the influx of money coming from big tech in Hollywood, which a huge amount was laundered drug money fed to venture capitalists and hedge funds and market funds and capital funds and all these kind of things that sprung up in the in the 80s and 90s a lot of that drug money is drying up do you understand what i'm saying mm -hmm. so now they're squeezing the taxpayers to keep this gigantic bloated bureaucracy afloat do you understand right. what i'm saying so it's like there are so many things happening at once and if you take maybe a, a more holistic view of it you just understand that this is the rise and fall of these imperial structures right but 
there are a lot of unique situations today because of technology and because of science and because of transportation, all right? There are a lot of these pressures that are new because we have different ways of disseminating information, disseminating money, right? And moving people around. So there are these new pressures added into these sort of almost like in-baked, holistically conceived pressures that all empires throughout history have had to face. So in one regard, what we're seeing now is new. And in one regard, it's very old. Mm -hmm. Well, on that subject of it being new but old, to fold in a little esoterica here, I didn't know this until I saw your post, but the Egyptian god Ra is often spelled R-E, or it was <laughs> maybe originally spelled R-E, and the Great Reset is basically the Great Ra-set. <laughs> and again, it's the old Egyptian god motif. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's funny <laughs> you should mention that too, because the whole thing of Ra and Set, if you look back in Egyptian history, you know, you had the upper and the lower kingdom. And the lower kingdom worshipped Set, and the upper kingdom worshipped Ra. You know, that was their main gods, right? And the whole idea of Ra Set, this component god that we had, right, was a symbol of the unification of the two kingdoms. So when you talk about like the Great Reset, which is kind of like a strange term, it's always kind of bothered me. It's always just like, mm. but there's a guy on Twitter named A Conscious Abyss who is talking about set. And I'm like, okay, well, that's half of the, that's half of the equation. What's the other half of the equation? I'm like, oh yeah, of course, Ra, Ray. So it is this whole idea of unification. So the Great Reset, I think in this regard would be the unification of like, the Anglosphere and the European Union, you know? So basically you have like what are called the five eyes, the Anglosphere, which is Canada, America, Great Britain, Australia, and New Zealand. And that's basically on a functional level, that's sort of like the Byzantine empire to the British Roman empire, right? So the Anglosphere, the five eyes are basically the Byzantine empire, right? And I think the Great Reset is, and why it was chosen, why the terminology was chosen. It's like, it's the reunification of the Anglosphere with like the greater European project. So it's just like great European empire, okay? Where all the European territories and European derived territories are sort of reunited. I, you know, I mean, I think it's insane. I, mean, I think Klaus Schwab is an absolute lunatic. I think the man is completely out of his mind. And if you really watch some of his talks and listen to some of his talks, I mean, he just talks like absolute nonsense. And he basically sounds like a science fiction fan on Reddit talking about his futuristic ideas. And there's actually a very funny video where he's talking to, I think it's Larry Page from Google, right? And he's talking about all these ideas about brain implants and this, that, and the other thing. And like Larry Page is like, oh, you know, slow down. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, those things are conceptually possible. Are they really, you know, well, maybe one day. I mean, stuff is never going to happen. You know, like I keep saying, you know, the bulk of the world will be lucky to have internet in 10 or 15 years. And, you know, it's funny because 
I don't know if I was talking about it in your show, but I was talking about how I just didn't trust crypto, right? Because crypto really relies on a state-of-the-art internet. And, you know, of course, we're seeing crypto crash now. But, yeah, I mean, that's why a lot of, you know, sort of these Wall Street Cassandras are telling everybody to get into precious metals and so on. But, yeah, I mean, the Great Reset is just a joke. Klaus Schwab is just an absolute weirdo. And the World Economic Forum is just basically a clearinghouse for every dopey, futuristic, cast-off idea, you know, from transhumanism to, you know, Agenda 2030. I mean, all this stuff is never going to happen. It's just never going to happen. Because all these ideas were conceived by, you know, these think tanks where people were just paid to just throw any idea against the wall, but also with the assumption that there was going to be this endless fount of free money, you know, of low interest money and drug money and, and all this kind of other sources of currency. And they're all drying up. I mean, none of this stuff is going to happen. And I get very, very frustrated. I get very, very, very frustrated with a lot of people and like, I don't know, truthers or conspiracy or whatever, who see these people as like these Olympians, you know, like these untouchable super geniuses. They're not. They're not. They just, the system, you know, like I say, the system is the egregore, you know, the system is the golem. The system is what keeps these people afloat. And if you cut any of these people out of the system, I mean, they're like helpless little babies. Yeah. Yeah. And I certainly appreciate that perspective, especially when everybody is so doom and gloom. And, you know, maybe there is a silver lining to all this. You've been writing a little bit about it. I like this line where you say, major economies are returning to creating real value through natural resources and manufacturing, not lip flapping and paper shuffling. And then you say, America is poised to capitalize on the new economic reality in a supreme fashion, but not with the Davos dickheads running everything now. Well, that last part, of course, but that's really interesting. So many people are focused on the decline, myself included, that we often miss what else is going on out there. What do you mean by that? How are we poised to capitalize on the new economic reality? What are other forward-thinking countries doing? And how can this be a not-so-terrible thing? Well, let's back up to the war, right? The Ukrainian war. So basically what... I mean, I think the UK is the senior partner in the situation. I think this is the UK's concern. They seem to be very preoccupied with this whole situation and keeping Ukraine out of the hands of the Russians. But basically what you have is that there was this huge sanctions regime, right? And a lot of people were saying, this is a bad idea. This is going to backfire. And of course, they're all attacked for being Putin apologists and Russian spies and Russian bots and all this complete and other nonsense. You know, but now, like, you know, the, the Davis doofus layer, as I call them, are all starting to admit that this is all backfiring. And one of the reasons it's backfiring is that Russia produces just enormous amounts of natural resources for the world. Not only oil and gas, but, you know, this whole thing with the fertilizer, precious metals, timber. 
the real tangible stuff as opposed to the digital. Yes, 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 food. So America decided that it could rebuild itself as like this virtual empire, right? And it would offshore all its manufacturing and it would rely on, say, South American produce and so on. And, you know, all the power and the money sort of gravitated towards the coast, right? Gravitated towards the Northeast Corridor in Southern California or Southern to Central California, right? you know, with San Francisco and Palo Alto and all this kind of thing. So that's why we had this incredible imbalance and this population redistribution, you know, all these coastal areas became, you know, very heavily democratic, which are actually Rockefeller Republicans. I mean, they're not the old Democratic Party at all. It's basically the old Rockefeller Republicans who took over the party during the Clinton era because Clinton was tied in with the Rockefellers because the Rockefellers owned Arkansas and probably still do. And, you know, one of the brothers, I think it was Winthrop, was governor there for a very long time. But anyway, you know, but we ignore the fact that we have the amber waves of grain, you know, the fruited plains, you know. Mm. And America, one of the reasons why America is so well poised to take advantage of this, and this is something a lot of people don't take account into, and this is why I like to study people who talk about commodities and so on, because America has this incredible river system, you know, the Missouri, the Mississippi, the Ohio, that come in from the Great Lakes and empty out into the Gulf of Mexico. So basically the entire, well, would that be the width of the breadth? I'm not sure. But, you know, from, from north to south, America is covered, you know, it's basically free transportation. You know, all you just do is put your boats on the river and you can go up and down the entire country. And we've got a lot of coastal regions and we have this huge prairie where you can grow any crops that you want, depending on the drought situations and the droughts periodically emerge like they did in the 30s with the Dust Bowl and they seem to be reemerging now. But we have tremendous amounts of oil. I think there's more oil in North America than in anywhere else in the world. We have our own minerals. We have everything we need here. We can grow our own food. We can build our own cars. We can build our own computers. We don't need anybody else. The question is just how much do we want to pay for it? And of course, we know that the people running everything don't want to pay anything for anything. You know, they want everything to go into their own pockets. But this is inevitable. The sanctions regime just encouraged Russia to pull away from the system that was really bleeding it dry, you know, like the SWIFT system and the World Bank and all these kind of things. So basically, I don't know if they even realized it, but the Davis doofuses did Russia just a tremendous favor. It's forcing them to rely on their own unbelievable <laughs> bounty of <laughs> of natural resources and that's why you know the ruble is higher than ever and and russian gas and oil are trading at prices higher than they have been since before the sanctions took hold they basically are taking over and nationalizing all the corporate property of the companies that left the country it was just a really bad idea to cut them out just not to give not to give the Russians any incentive to play ball, 
they just said, you know, screw you. We're cutting you off from everything. And, and they're just like, well, okay, well, you know what? We're not sending you fertilizer and we're not sending you the trillions of tons of wheat that we grow or corn or soy or, you know, whatever. We're not going to play ball with you. And then we're going to sell it all to China. And then we're going to sell it to India because they need that stuff. I mean, China and India have a terrible problems growing their own food. So screw you, you know, and this mm -hmm. is what I'm talking about. This whole world island, this Eurasian project that is really putting the pressure on, you know, the Western naval mercantile powers. But we are very well poised if we can just pull all this stuff back, onshore all our manufacturing again, so we don't need to be held hostage by these supply chain issues, particularly if it's a country that we're coming to loggerheads with, you know, we've got everything we need. The question is whether we're gonna be able to take advantage of it, but we have a tremendous problem with our infrastructure. Our infrastructure needs rebuilding. It was, most of our infrastructure was built in, you know, from the period from the 30s to the 50s, right? It's all rotting. You know, you've got subway tunnels that are about to collapse in cities like New York. So we need to focus on our home situation, but it's going to be a major problem without all this free phony money flying around anymore. Right, right. Well, I mean, that is a really good, hopeful, positive outlook. We do have a lot of resources that can be useful, and it's really just the collapse of things like Wall Street and woke Hollywood <laughs> and big tech, and those things aren't even us. Like, I, you know, call me naive, but... When 2008 happened, I was like, man, the news is acting like the sky is falling and everything's destroyed, but this has really no bearing on my life. My paycheck, which was always low, is still low. It's still the same job. And of course, people of retirement age, that's different. You know, your 401k getting chopped in half. Sure, that really sucks. But it's all kind of in the air and it's not really like at a practical level. Like you say, we still have the Great Lakes. We still have a lot of positive things. You know, I'm looking at moving out of California, but I'm seeing these properties that are on like a couple of acres and they've leveled everything. It's like a house on four acres of just dirt. And I'm just thinking, why don't you have an orchard? Why don't you have every fruit tree that can grow in your region in a little corner of this four acres? And I'm looking for that property where someone's already done that work because it's going to take, you know, eight years to get it going. But it is crazy how we have the resources and we're focused on the wrong things and we're focused on really what the elite care most about and we're equating our ability to succeed based on that stuff and it's backwards. Well, I think a lot of this is a cultural issue, but it's also, I don't even know how to refer to it. But you know, when I was talking about before about how the money just sort of pooled in Southern California and Central California. I don't know why they call that Northern California. <laughs> I mean, to me, Northern California is up near Oregon, but you know, New York, the Northeast corridor from Washington and the Virginia suburbs, parts of North Carolina, you know, New York and so on. Mm -hmm. You know, if you look at Massachusetts, for instance, I mean, Massachusetts is really sort of like the nerve center of the military industrial complex. You know, it's You've got all the big universities there, which are just basically think tanks for the security state, for the national security state. But you've also got all the tech and stuff. People forget about all the tech that's in Massachusetts, you know, because they're so focused on the glamour of Silicon Valley and so on. But here's the thing. 
you know, and again, there's a lot of things to unpack. This is like our theory of everything episode. (laughs) And I'm trying to sort of break these down into smaller problems. But so the problem is, like I said, big tech has been held aloft by just billions upon billions of dollars of free money, drug money, unregulated money, so on and so forth. And it was basically, you know, it's the casino effect. Google comes out of nowhere and becomes one of the biggest corporations in the world, depending on how you qualify that, right? But it's like big tech is really a lie, okay? And here's the thing. So we've got all these people working in big tech companies, right? And not only in California, but also, you know, Seattle area, right? Microsoft and all these, and Amazon and all these people. But the problem is, is that all the concepts that big tech operates on were put in place before anybody working in Silicon Valley today was born. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So all the concepts, cell phones, teleconferencing, the internet, wireless, I mean, all these ideas came from the 60s and the 70s, right? You know, a lot of it came from Xerox Park in Palo Alto. And, you know, I mean, is Xerox even like a significant corporation anymore? You really don't hear about them that much. But they really created the desktop and the mouse and all these kind of things that we use today. But all this technology that we think is like the crown of our 21st century creation, you know, like we are the pinnacle of human striving, is all 50, 60, sometimes 70 years old. Do you understand what I mean? So it's like, what are all these people doing then? Tens of thousands of people in Mountain View and Palo Alto and wherever, you know? I mean, what are they doing? Literally, what are they doing? You know, I mean, we don't see any significant new products coming out of big tech, do we? You know, Google makes a ton of money on the cloud, but their consumer products are pretty poor. You know, I mean, I don't know anybody who uses like their, you know, their spreadsheets or their uh, word processor or any of these kind of things that think that they're state of the art in any way, shape or form. You know, and Microsoft Word is not nearly as good as it was 20 years ago. I mean, it just becomes bloated because what you have is that you have frauds and mediocrities. You know, they've got to justify these incredible salaries that they're making and this incredible lifestyle that they have. So they're always adding on like all these useless innovations onto consumer software that just bogs it all down. It's just like, I really have noticed, right, that the Mac OS, you know, the desktop OS has just gotten slower and buggier and just less efficient than it was even 10 years ago, you know? And they spend so much time trying to keep their woke (laughs) employee pool quiet that they don't focus on their core products anymore. And what we really have is that we have tens of thousands of people employed, maybe even hundreds of thousands of people employed in big tech who aren't creating anything real. You know, they're not creating anything of value. What they're doing is maintaining, you know, these platforms and these programs and so on, and usually making them worse. Okay. They're usually making them worse. And a lot of this has to do with the educational system 
and kind of like the lackadaisical attitude towards work that millennials and Gen Zers have. And this is not like, you know, an old man yelling at cloud. I mean, this is pretty well <laughs> documented. You know, there was this thing, you know, when Elon Musk was going to buy Twitter, there was some guy who, I don't know if he leaked, there was something that got leaked. And this guy who was like, you know, VP level, executive level said that, you know, he only works like four hours a week and he doesn't want to sacrifice his free time. He basically does nothing for this company because what really needs to be done, what really needs to be done at these companies anymore, the software exists, right? Like what needs, like it's just basically maintenance because we're not seeing anything new come out or anything significant come out that's new. Right. So, but you've got to keep this whole train rolling. You know, you've got to keep this whole illusion of technological progress running because if you don't, people start to question why they're making all these sacrifices on so many different levels, personal, political, economic, to feed the system that feeds on them and is mostly peopled by people who hate them, right? And if people start to question that, then the whole thing collapses. You know, it's no coincidence that Elon Musk is the PayPal guy and the Tesla guy, but he's also like, you know, the quote unquote space program guy, you know, which is just all nonsense. And then, you know, like robotics and androids. I mean, robots do exist, but they're automatons. You know, we're never going to see androids ever. Artificial intelligence, again, it's transhumanism. These things are all hoaxes that are promoted by the technocrats to keep this machine running. And they feed this stuff to Hollywood and Hollywood becomes part, they become accomplices to this whole scam, this whole hoax, right? Mm -hmm. But this goes back to the thirties, you know, when you had like all this world of tomorrow stuff and the world to come, you know, that movie from the thirties where it'd be like this great future, you know, because everybody was like living hand to mouth during the great depression. So this is like the carrot. It's like, oh, don't become communists, you know, we're, yeah. just it's coming. hold it's coming. on, it's coming, you know, just it's right around the corner. And, you know, it's like when I've written about on the blog, it's like all these technological miracles have been right around the corner my entire life. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, I can't believe it. It just amazes me stories that I remember reading almost verbatim 20, 30, 40 years ago are still being recycled today. It's like Neuralink, right? So that's like Elon Musk is talking about Neuralink. I remember hearing about Neuralink in the early 90s, maybe even earlier. Okay. So this is like this pipe dream that just they keep pushing and they'll do these sort of like all these little demonstrations and they're all just faked just to keep this machine running. Because if people start to question technocracy, technocracy will collapse Mm -hmm. because it's fundamentally fake. They're not creating anything new. They're making enormous amounts of money. I mean, all these people are making enormous amounts of money for doing next to nothing. In the post-COVID area, a lot of these people don't even work anymore. They just collect a salary and stay at home. You know, you're hearing this a lot, right? And like I said, the easy money, the interest-free money and the drug money is all drying up. So it's like, 
they're facing this crisis point. And it's like, you know, you're talking about leaving California. And to me, like, California is so much different. Like, I remember going to San Francisco back in the 80s, and it was wonderful. And it's just like a warm, lovely place with, like, really friendly people and, you know, just a great environment and just, it was almost like a giant college campus or something, right? And look at it now, you know? I mean, look what it's become. But to me, it's like, it's on a deeper level. To me, it's on a metaphysical level. And this is what I say, and, and this, you know, I can talk about all this nuts and bolts stuff. And when I start to get metaphysical and spiritual about this stuff, people are like, oh, oh well, you know, this guy's just nuts. <laughs> That's our favorite me, part like, around here. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like, California to me, it's become fundamentally evil. That's what I was picking up on, like the past few times that I've been there. Is that like, why does it feel so different? Why does it feel cold and hard and unwelcoming? And I think it's because it's become a fundamentally evil place. And the reason being is that it's controlled by fundamentally evil, fake hoax industries like big tech and Hollywood. Okay. So much of the money is obviously real estate, real estate. You know, you're asking about like these houses just sit in the middle of this huge arable plot, right? Mm -hmm. But that's because they can make more money from a mansion you know and i'm sure the people who move into that mansion will be screaming about global warming when they're paying you know a thousand dollars a month to air condition the place you know <laughs> you know i mean it's all fake it's all fake it really is i mean yeah of course hollywood produces films right and big tech produces software and so on but they're not producing anything new there hasn't been a new idea, a fresh idea coming out of Hollywood since at least the early 90s. Everything is just a retread. Everything is a sequel or a remake or a comic book. And again, all these industries are built on laundered drug money. So when you wonder why you have a state that gives rise to just all these hideous people, like, you know, Gruesome Newsom and Chase of Bodine and San Francisco, just turning the city over to criminals and these weird drunk old tags like Nancy Pelosi and so on. I mean, like you just look at this and it's just like, this is a freak show. Yeah. Well, it's because of the spiritual malaise that I think has gripped California. I mean, I used to love California. Like I still believe in California. I really do. I think there's a lot of potential there to get over this, but it's like in the eighties, nineties, early two thousands, they were captured. You know, California was colonized by the world of fraud and hoax. You know what I'm saying? Like the fake world. Right. Like to me, the technocratic world is the fake world. Well, you know, people always criticize me for living here. And I say, yeah, I agree with all the problems you have. All I really like is the natural stuff around me. That's all I really like. That's the part that's hard to leave. So it's not all that other stuff. I understand. It's, it's not great. There's your post gnosis. You you believe in the pleroma and the fullness of nature. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's beautiful. Yes. You know, I mean, all the mountains and the coastline and Big Sur and it's just beautiful. There's a lot to like. There is a lot to like. It's, you know, people have moved there en masse for a reason. It's that Mediterranean climate that is just so pleasant. You know, but so, the problem is, go ahead, what? Well, I was just going to, I was going to switch gears, but. Oh, okay. The problem is what? No, I'm just saying it's like 
we had these industries that were propped up by funny money to such an extent that they you can't run a business on blood money without evil affecting your entire enterprise i really believe that i really do believe that well said and you know i come from missouri so i have a big network there and a big network here and I think about these things collapsing and I look back to the people at home. They're almost completely unaffected and oblivious and they don't even really care because they've been living closer to the natural systems and they haven't been running on all the fumes of the blood money and the drugs. And it's California that feels like it's collapsing because of all that stuff. I think you really are nailing it. And if you get more into the Midwest, it really isn't going to be hit as hard by that stuff. But I cannot believe that it's almost been an hour and there were so many little things I wanted to throw into this first hour, but you know, we'll see where we get, but that is a really good lay of the land and a real positive message about how don't focus on what the elite are doing. And when that stuff collapses, that's not the world itself. And post gnosis is definitely going to make it into the title here, but <laughs> you have done uh, some really, really deep dives on you know, the synchromistic stuff we love, the classic Chris Knowles threads that we've talked about. And a lot of them still seem to be continuing. First of all, I didn't know this until this morning, but we should mention that the great Oracle and Siren Supreme Liz Frazier actually has an EP coming out two days from now. It's called Sun's Signature of all things. And <laughs> the song she chose to remake is interesting. Just to remind people, Jeff Buckley drowned in Memphis. Then rapper Young Dolph also died in Memphis on the 24th anniversary of Buckley's death. And his last video showed him at the bottom of a body of water. Well, she remade a song for the Sun Signature EP. And of all the songs, it's one called Underwater. I think she knows what's going on. I think she's on to you, Chris. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> there's a reason that I made, you know, most of that stuff private. Because <laughs> you, know, you, you forget that anybody can access this information and people are always Googling themselves and so on. It's like, I never Google myself. I don't want to know what people are saying about me. No, me either. You know, it's, uh, you know, I remember Frank Miller, you know, he never read reviews of his work this back in the 80s. He said, because the bad reviews hurt his feelings and the good reviews bloated his ego. Yes. You know, so he didn't want to hear it. And, you know, it's like, you got to be really careful about like what you put out there, but it just gets to the point that I'm just like, yeah, something is happening, but this gets back to, you know, when I talk about, I don't know, it's almost, like almost this concept of eternal return. You know, it's like the things we were taught by the enlightenment, you know, the things like Sybils don't exist. That's just fantasy. You know, it's just delusion. We were taught that, evil doesn't exist. We were taught that demons don't exist or the spiritual world, nature spirits, whatever. We were taught that all these things were delusion. And we were taught these things were delusion because the people of the enlightenment were coming on the heels of like some really horrific religious wars that just almost destroyed Europe completely. But the thing is, is that they threw out a lot of babies with that bathwater. And this whole idea of the Sybil and the Sybil emerging at periods exactly like today, you know, the Sybils would become very important during these crisis 
periods, we're led to believe that those things don't actually exist. But the great thing about technology today is that we can bypass the opinion makers and do things like what I do with like synchromysticism. And like, once you do synchromysticism for, gosh, I mean, it's been like hmm, almost 30 years for me, you start to realize that things are not like what they tell you they're like in school. They're not like what the scientists tell you. They're not like what the media tells you. And in point of fact, people above that level, people above that sort of meteor level that, you know, almost like in a um, Brave New World context, that would be the betas. You know, people at the alpha level still believe in all this stuff, you know, and they use it and they use it, you know? So when you talk about Elizabeth, it's just like, she's got a 40 year track record of like, every time she makes a move, there's some earth shaking event yes. <laughs> to accompany it. You know, you talk about some signature I mean, some signature was announced hours before Vladimir Putin declared war on Ukraine, hmm. literally hours. Okay. That to me is like, if you don't believe me by now, I don't know what else I can tell you. You know, I've been, tell I've been telling people I've got this huge database on the secret sun called laugh while you still can. That was inspired by this sort of onion knockoff site that was making fun of me. And, uh, you know, I basically responded with all this data, with all this information. It's like, okay, you know, I've got 40 years track record of this kind of thing. And it's leading to where we are today, specifically when Sun Signature was announced hours before Vladimir Putin, out of nowhere, nobody's expecting it, declared war on Ukraine. Yeah. So. I don't know what to say anymore. I mean, <laughs> listen, the world doesn't exist like you were taught it exists. And the people at that elite level, they might not understand it. You know, they might not know how to take full advantage of it, but they believe it. Yeah. And they try. I guarantee you they believe it. And that's why their symbols tell you that they believe it. Their symbolism and their rituals and their actions. You know, I mean, that's really what it's about for me because it's just like, they believe this stuff and they do these rituals and so on because they work. Yes. It works for them. You know, it produces results. And to me, like anything, you know, if you're talking about magic or synchromysticism or religion or mysticism or whatever, to me, it always comes down to what are the results? Okay. What are the tangible results here? You know, because you can have your fine feelings and you know, anything can sort of inspire those fine feelings, right? those warm fuzzies that you can get under certain conditions in religious contexts, you know, a lot of things can duplicate that effect. But the results to me are like, okay, this is crazy. But it isn't, you think it's crazy, but you probably won't think it's crazy when I show you that it's been going on for more than 40 years now. So what are you going to do? Right. And let me loop in a little bit more because this Liz Frazier thread really was a, a popular episode with, that we did. And there's been things added to the stack woven throughout pretty much every interview we've done since. And there's a little more here. So 
you've done this deep dive on shepherd sacrifice symbolism and its connection to Liz Frazier. We talked about the rapper Little Peep's death and how the Cocteau twins released an album on November 1st with the lyrics, Peep, Peep, Bo, Peep, Peep, Bo repeatedly. Yeah. And November 1st was Little Peep's birthday. Mm. Well, we have another shepherd sacrifice in this girl, Little Bo Weep, who was cut from the same cloth as Little Peep, tortured, drug addict, tattooed from head to toe. I don't know if you found much more than that archetypical connection, but the fact that she did cover a Linkin Park song and Chester Bennington was clearly part of all this too, that's also strange. This weird thread keeps dragging people down, especially people who self-reference other victims of it. They become victims themselves. Yeah. On one level, you could look at it like on a psychological level and, you know, the power of suggestion and so on. But when you have a lot of these people who are oblivious to the symbolism, but still become subjected to it, victimized by it or whatever. And then you go back again to the ancient world and you just see this kind of symbolism recur. You know, especially with these dying rising gods, you know what I'm saying? Like these vegetation gods and so on, Addis and Adonis and so on. And the love goddess, you know, the love goddess of music and war, who has the shepherd boy consort, right? This whole constellation of symbols and archetypes, you just have to realize that it's like, this is part of the human condition. And what we see now. You know, we sort of had like, you know, what I call like a backstop. It's like the backstop of like the Christian or Christendom or the Christian world where it was like, no, you know, don't even think about that kind of stuff, you know, because if you even think about it, you know, you'd be tempted by the devil and so on. Um, so in some ways, we were rendered ignorant of it. And in some archetypes, in some of these archetypal returns, for instance, this whole return of the galley, the eunuch, the aggressive eunuchs, right, that we're seeing today, we we're unprepared for it. We were unprepared for just how everything that we're seeing reemerge was very much part of like Imperial Rome, where it almost seems like the id was more unleashed you know it didn't have the sort of hand pressing down on you know from the church and the state so when you talk about little bo peep and little bo weep <laughs> they really do seem like twins right i mean they seem like and uh, i gotta tell you i mean this is going to sound like a bit of a diversion but to me it almost seems like both those kids i'm sure raised on the internet right grew up with the internet, didn't know another world, spent all their times indoors on social media and Instagram and stuff, and just basically looking into a mirror, but a distorted mirror, because social media offers us this distorted mirror. And it almost reminds me of Moloch, you know? Like, we don't recognize it as such, but we're sacrificing our children to this machine to this machine of, you know, this Moloch machine where, you know, in the olden days, people would just sacrifice their children because, you know, 
thought they would gain a good harvest or become rich or a desirable lover or so on. And when you look at these individuals who aren't like the most hardy specimens <laughs> that you can imagine, you know, it really does start to remind me of like sickly children being exposed, you know, the Greeks and the Romans and so on, or the Canaanites, Phoenicians, Carthaginians sacrificing their children on these topets, these furnaces. And the furnace to me today, in so many different ways, is social media and so on. And what we saw in the ancient world was like this breakdown of gender roles and gender identities, We're seeing that again today. I think that, you know, when you talk about the siren and the mermaid symbolism, it's so obviously tied up in this whole idea of ambiguity and dual identity. And that's why that whole trans organization in, in the UK calls itself mermaid. So, I mean, I think that the mermaid symbolism is very much tied up into this. But I got to also tell you, you know, particularly when you look at those two figures and, and figures like them, you know, this whole idea of like Harry Potter and X-Men and all the superhero stuff and everything where it's like it becomes so tangible. You you watch these shows and these movies and you just feel like it's there. You're like you're almost there. But what do I need to do? Like, what do I need to do to become better than human, to become post-human, you know? And it's like nothing else seems to work except for the whole trans thing. And that's where I say, like, I don't think that we would have this whole trans movement without geek culture becoming so ubiquitous and drenching us in these archetypes, but also drenching us in this idea, like this transhumanist idea, that human isn't good enough. Nature isn't good enough. We need to transcend that. We need to rise above that, right? And I think that when you look at like the siren symbolism, like the siren in the ancient stories was like the beautiful song that caused the sailors to be dashed on the rocks, right? <laughs> and I think that's the same thing. I mean, I think all this geek culture and escapism and anime, particularly anime and manga, because everything is so fluid as a whole, but it's a siren song. Like, I really do believe that it is like a siren song now because it's causing all these young people to mutilate themselves, irreversibly mutilate themselves, to become slaves to big pharma, right? Because they need this medication for the rest of their lives and so on. And it is a siren song, you know what I mean? And if you look at both, little peep and little bo weep it's like they were disfiguring themselves with all these tattoos and so on right i mean they were disfiguring their bodies you know not like structurally but cosmetically disfiguring themselves and chemically with the drugs exactly right so i think this whole idea of like disfiguring yourself because of you hate yourself because you're not captain marvel or you're not the avengers or you're not harry potter or you're not I don't know, the Powerpuff Girls, I mean, you name it. It's had like this incredible negative knock-on effect that I don't think I really, you know, I anticipated how superhero culture would become mainstream. You know, when I started writing Our Gods Were Spandex back in 2005, and this was before 
Dark Knight, and this was before Iron Man, when the stuff really took off. You know, it's kind of like saying, you know, this is going to become the mainstream culture. But I was like, well, where does it go from there? And that's where I sort of stumbled in the book, because I couldn't figure out where it was going to proceed to other than this whole idea of transhumanism. You know, at the time when I was naive, I thought it was real. But because transhumanism isn't real, then we have this trans other thing. You know, we have this other situation. And it really is a cult, but it's also a cult that calls to mind, you know, Kybel or Sibylle in, in the Latin, right? And Sibyl and Sibylle are, you know, seem to share the same root because it's like these women in caves, you know? And yeah, I just think we're just in just so much trouble. And, you know, you talk about the Great Reset. It's like, I think we need the Great Reboot, you know? I think we mm -hmm. need to just like reboot everything because we've been experimenting on our children for over 30 years now, and the results are disastrous. And not only in our children, but our culture, because, you know, our children become, you know, we send them to these, these horrible schools where they're taught all this nonsense, all this toxic nonsense, and then they get out into the real world and they don't know how to do anything. And this is one of the things when I talk about collapse, I mean, this is something that I've been watching for a long time. It's like a system is only as effective as the people who work inside it. You know, so you're asking me about Ukraine. It's like, well, why is Ukraine such a total clusterfuck? Well, it's because the people in the White House are mostly like these young activist types who, you know, all the older people are terrified of who don't know how to do anything. Not only do they not know how to do anything, but they're also lazy. They're incredibly lazy. They're lazy and entitled and have no tangible skill set. This is what really worries me. This is so much more prevalent on the coasts than it is, you know, say in certain like heartland places where it's still like, you know, you go to school to learn things. You don't go to school to study gender theory or something. <laughs> yeah, totally. So we are just in so much trouble. And I got to tell you right now, and I know this will sound very pessimistic, but I don't think democracy can survive these generations. Mm. I just don't think it's going to happen. I don't think democracy can survive people who vote, who have no concept of the issues at hand, but are just totally manipulated by Hollywood and big tech to vote for their party. I don't think it can survive that. And I, I, I probably said this on your show. It's like, we need people who are going to get up in the cherry pickers during a hurricane to fix the phone lines or the cable lines or the power lines. We're running out of those people. Right. We really are. And the difference between a successful enterprise and a non-successful enterprise is the people but it isn't just the people so it isn't just the fact that we've got all these like poorly educated or miseducated lazy entitled woke idiots but you know the problem is also like the difference between a successful say a successful startup and a non-successful startup it's almost like the non-successful startup is like 99% there but it's just that 1% that's just too far to go, right? Mm -hmm. And to get to that extra 1%, it's like a whole sacrifice and working around the clock and putting aside your interests to put everything you have into this, but it's also educating yourself for real and not just indoctrinating yourself. And we're running out of those people. 
and now we're starting to see like what they call the unicorns that were billion dollar evaluated companies you know they're all failing one after the other and because of the whole issue with the gas prices i mean you know uber and lyft and what was it you know all these shopping instacart where people are driving around for you right I mean, people can't afford to drive around for you anymore. Yeah, Postmates and that stuff. Yeah, I mean, this is what I've, I've been seeing, This that everything is getting hit in the stock market, obviously, and big tech is really getting hit. But like all these kind of like laziness, <laughs> things like, oh, I don't want to do my own food shopping, so I'm going to call Instacart or whatever. These are the companies that are getting the hardest hit. And like everybody thought Uber was going to be like the biggest thing, right? And like Uber is like, circling the drain now so again fake hype we've been conditioned to believe hype i can't tell you how many conversations with normies where i just hear people just regurgitating what is clearly public relations or some sort of sales pitch or just some sort of political propaganda that they just scan the headlines and they don't read any deeper and they certainly don't read anything that is outside the corporate media and it's like, we just can't exist with these people. We just can't. No, we can't. <laughs> yes. I, I, I mean I know, that. I know. The system, the US, I think, is going to break up. Yeah. And I've thought so for a long time because it's just too different, you know? And it's become so much more polarized now, right? And we have just like people just hating each other. But you go on Twitter, right? And you think like, oh, these people are educated and they work at, you know, these think tanks and, universities and big magazines and networks and so on. I mean, these people are the adults, right? These people are the grown-ups. And you read it and it's like you're stuck in 4chan, except for they just, they hate somebody else. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, these people talk like children, like grown-ass men, middle-aged men that just go on these like woke rants. And part of it is because they're, they're terrified not to. You know, because like, oh, I'm a middle-aged white guy in this completely woke industry. You know, it's like, if I'm not the wokest of all, my six-figure income is gone. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, that's why you've called it a virus. Oh, it is a virus. Yeah. I've got a lot of notes on woke that we haven't even got to. I don't know if you want to get into them. I know. I mean, I can go on all day. Listen, I mean, <laughs> I mean, when would he start? Like, start at two? On the Riverside thing, you can see the counter for how long we've been actually recording. So... We're a little bit past uh, an hour, oh, okay. but this is going to be a long first hour because I wanted to throw another log on the Liz Frazier fire just to wrap up that thing. But if the new EP Sun Signature is pulling you in, this other loop with Foo Fighters drummer Taylor Hawkins pulls me in because it pulls in my birthday, March 25th. Oh. And just like the little Bo Weep chick. These artists are always referring to each other, maybe subconsciously, but Taylor Hawkins did a piece for Rolling Stone, five songs I wish I wrote, and one was So Real by Jeff Buckley. Mm. Then we have that episode of The Monkees with Jeff Buckley singing Song to the Siren. We talked about that before and how important it is to this whole saga. And that was March 25th, 1968. Mm -hmm. And Taylor Hawkins died on... March 25th of this year, mm. someone always goes down on these dates with references to the previously deceased artists and a Liz Frazier release to match it. And let's add more water deaths connected to this. You say that the day before Tim Buckley premiered Song to the Siren on the Monkees, Air Linguist Flight 7. 
12 crashed into the Irish Sea, and the same day this Mortal Coils Song to the Siren was released, Cal Flight 007 crashed into the Sea of Japan. Very creepy stuff, man. Planes don't crash into the sea all that often, so that is a wild coincidence. Sea swallow me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, Flight 007 was shot down by the Russians. That's that whole Cold War thing. You know, and I find it interesting, you know, when I talked about Sun Signature being announced hours before the start of the Ukrainian war, right? And then, you know, you talk about Song to the Siren. And then the Cocker Twins did an EP that was released on the 7th of November. And that was the day of Able Archer, which we nearly had a nuclear exchange because of these war games that NATO was holding and so on. So, yeah, it's funny how this stuff just seems to well up back in the conscious because it's like, I got to tell you something, I'm old, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm an old man, right? And 40 years just does not seem like a very long time to me anymore. And certainly not 20 years, right? And time just doesn't seem to work the way it used to. So it's just like, synchro is time, right? So it's like, it almost seems like this is time mysticism in some ways, right? And when you talk about Taylor Hawkins, well, Taylor Hawkins is another deal. I mean, I'm not entirely sure. Like, so he died. And like hours later, the Colombian medical examiner is like saying that he hit all this stuff in his system. And it's like, well, how did you get the drug results back that fast? You know, it seemed awfully sudden to determine that he had like all these painkillers and stuff and benzodiazepines in his system. It just seemed like a bit too quick of a turnaround time for a blood test, blood tox screen, as they call it. I strongly suggest that he probably died because of this, what I like to call now the stabby wabby. You know what I'm saying? The little prick. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know if I do. The stabby wabby. The stabby wabby, you know. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, the jab, some might say. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing. So you hear about a lot of people like athletes and so on sort of just dropping dead of heart attacks on bieber's face and his wife's blood clots oh god yeah. nothing to see here folks <laughs> yeah a lot of people who have died you know people like soccer players who are just basically running back and forth for 90 minutes yeah. your heart rate gets really elevated so if you have clots or you have some sort of coagulating issue it's going to be exacerbated by all the strenuous physical activity. You know, and as a drummer, that's a physically demanding job. Right. You know, particularly right. in a band like that. You know, it's like playing two hours a night. So I personally believe with Taylor Hawkins that it was it was that. And then they sort of concocted this whole idea of like, you know, he's back on the drugs to sort of cover it up. But then, you know, when I talk about the whole metaphysical aspect of this you know like the friggin movie studio 666 you know when in the trailer for the movie you know a demonically possessed dave grohl kills taylor hawkins right right so it's just like whoa you know and a lot of a lot of people i know have talked about that even bob saget they say well he fell and hit his head in his hotel room it's like well what caused him to fall yeah i don't know there's a lot of uh, weird stuff going on and a lot of damage control, I would say. Well, see, this is what I talk about, like the complexity. So I'm not even going to try to speculate what the whole agenda behind all that 
COVID stuff was. Everybody's got their theories, right? Yes. But here's the problem. I don't think it was very well thought out. I really don't. And I think this issue with the excess mortality and you know, now they're trying to get the kids to take these things and you know, and all these sort of hoops that they have to go through and these contortions, these poses, these contorted poses they need to assume in order to explain all this stuff away, it's just too much. Particularly when like the propagandists now are people coming out of these Ivy League colleges, you know, when they go into communications, they probably are just, their heads filled with like gender theory and queer theory and post-structuralism and post-modernism and critical race theory. I mean, these people are not intelligent and they're programmed, right? They're just effectively programmed by the system. And they don't know how to deal with crisis. They don't know how to deal with setbacks because they grew up rich. They grew up incredibly coddled, incredibly pampered. They have no experience with real crisis or with trauma or even like inconvenience. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, these people are not fit to purpose. They're just not up to the job. And as these crises start to escalate, these people are just going to start melting down. Yeah. And we're going to see like, people just leaving en masse these government departments and bureaucracies and everything because they're not going to be able to deal with the stress and they're just going to walk away. And without the free, funny money to keep bribing them, there's going to be no incentive for them to stay. It's not good. (laughs) Yes. It's not good. I agree with you. And as we're pulling this all together, what kind of arc do you think we're looking at for the totality of this collapse of empire, let's call it, because, you know, I've done shows a couple of years ago talking about supply chain crises. And I think we started a previous interview a few years ago with this is the apocalypse. And I sometimes see comments where people say there's a lot of doom and gloom on your show, which I actually think, you know, today we really threaded the needle between like, well, the world's not ending. The rest of this bullshit is ending. But people I guess they hear guests talk on a show like this and it sounds like it's coming tomorrow. And then two years later, we're still talking about it. I mentioned agenda 2030 at the beginning because that's when they want to accomplish their goals. That's eight years from now. So can you help us give some perspective to this collapse and what kind of time arc do you think we're looking at to be, to be reasonable? Well, you know, one thing I always say is that real change is slow and gradual. And because we're so invested in all these narratives, like Hollywood narratives, intelligent narratives, where all the boring stuff is cut out, right? We expect an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie to be taking place outside our door. And that's not the way it's worked. That's not the way it's ever worked. You know, you had situations, you've had major wars going on where like people a couple miles from the battlefield had no idea that there was a war at all. You see what I mean? It's just like things happen, but the rhythms of life persist, right? What I see is happening is that the current ruling structure, the current ruling class, what I call the Rockefeller Republicrats, have been in the midst of just getting their asses kicked by the fates. You know what I mean? The -hmm. fates have turned on them, you know? The gods have turned on them for their hubris. And now they're dealing with all sorts of nemeses, right? 
and they're in the midst of getting their asses kicked, I think that's going to persist. I think that we're going to suffer for a lot of it. I think we're starting to see these people like lash out a lot. I mean, it's mostly verbal now, but I think there will be some nonverbal lashing out to come. But I think what we're going to see, I mean, I think this country is going to break up. I really do. And I've thought that for a long time. And it's going to break up into sort of regional blocks where it'll be almost like a looser kind of confederation rather than a federal government. There are a lot of people who think that, like, say, for instance, the middle part of this country is going to form a new country with the center of Canada, Alberta and Saskatchewan and so on, that these provinces of Canada are very alienated from the Justin Trudeau Canada and want to get out. So we could see that. We could see this like huge new country forming of the plain states and then also the heartland of the Canadian Federation. I think the war is an absolute clusterfuck. And I think that what we're going to see, and we're starting to see now, I mean, we're literally starting to see, even at the Joe Biden level, is that the people who were running this shit show are going to try and disentangle themselves from it, and they're going to start pointing the fingers at each other. I mean, it's going badly. It's going to continue to go badly. And most serious observers said from the beginning that it wasn't ever going to go well. I don't know if you know, people are talking about Taiwan and China. I mean, Taiwan is very lucky because it has, you know, it's basically a natural fortress. It's very hard to invade because of the Straits of Taiwan there. But I think the woke, there's already forming a very huge woke backlash. And I think the, the last straw was all this rooming stuff in the schools. I think that that was sort of like a lot of people said the hell with this yeah enough's you know, enough enough is enough you know they're after our kids now forget it because they always go after the kids i i really wish that the lgb community the gay community would disentangle itself from the autogynephilia community you know which sort of calls itself the trans community but isn't really trans it's something else mm -hmm. i you know there has been people who are saying like dump the tea you know what i mean yeah dave Chappelle had a bit about that that was pretty interesting yeah and you know the t and the q it's funny if you look at the pride flag it's like it used to just be the rainbow and it's like all the other stuff the queer theory stuff is starting to force it's encroaching it's like you're gonna have like this little sliver of the rainbow in a couple of years because it's going to be all these other quote-unquote identities added into it. But I think there's going to be huge backlash and I think it's going to get ugly. And that's what I've always been afraid of because so fascism, they're always fascists, you know, sort of lurking at the margins, right? There's always been like a fascist element that's been marginal. But when fascists gain power is when this insane, woke, why my republic type of left just completely loses its mind and gets completely drunk with power, which is that they are right now. And I hate to see it, but I'm at the age right now where I just, there's nothing I can do about it. It's inevitable.
You know what I mean? It's right. going to get ugly. It's going to get bad. People are going to get hurt who are innocent. But it's just, unfortunately, the way it always seems to work with these things. The, you know, the pendulum has to swing to the extremes, particularly in this environment, the superheated social media environment. You know, I think it's going to get bad. But unfortunately, the woke have nobody to blame but themselves. They really have nobody to blame but themselves. You know, particularly like the grooming community of the woke. And that and that's really what they are. I mean, if you're taking kids aside and teaching them about gender theory and telling them not to tell their parents, I mean, that's all class, you know, showing them pornography, telling them not to tell their parents, which is happening in schools today, those are like classic hallmarks of grooming. You know what I'm saying? So what else are you going to call them? It's like, oh, you know, you're an alt-right Nazi. It's like, no, you're a groomer. <laughs> yeah. I'm not an alt-right Nazi. I fucking hate alt-right Nazis. You're a groomer. Yeah. <laughs> you, know I mean? you can't weasel out of this. <laughs> That's what you are. You know, so, but, you know, like I said, it's going to get ugly and people are going to get hurt. And it sucks, but I don't see any way around it right now. Right. Maybe it's just human nature. Maybe it isn't the internet. Maybe it's human nature. But... Your cooler heads never seem to prevail, you know, until the two constantly warring sides have worn each other out on the battlefield. So, um, yeah, I think things are going to get very rocky. And, you know, we're having all this, you know, all this, like these food production facilities catching fire yes. magically all over the country that's concerning absolutely it feels like an attack people won't even recognize well you know what i sometimes wonder so you know we all know who the obvious you know the people who don't want us to eat meat and want to see bugs are the obvious culprits right yes but you know sometimes i wonder like what if it is like russian spies you know because since they control the world fertilizer trade, right? What better way to fight against their oppressors than to starve them out? Right. I think it's worth considering. It's so crazy how many people think that everything is just going to be on the surface, that there's not all kinds of games within games and under the radar stuff happening and espionage. I mean, that's the story of warfare and and empires and everything but yet i talk to people and you even make that suggestion and they're like they just can't even comprehend it because they didn't see it on the news and it's like come on man you gotta think deeper than that it is quite crazy but we are going to be talking about this stuff for a long time i'm sure well i mean just one more thing i want to say agenda 2030 great reset these are all just pipe dreams Old men who read too much sci-fi, these are their pipe dreams. And like I said, I mean, one of the biggest problems they have is that they just don't have the people to carry these things out, particularly when they face resistance. You know, when you have weak, entitled crybabies in positions of power, they really don't handle stress very well. They don't handle opposition very well. So I just, you know, Maybe I'll be proved wrong, but I got to tell you, I don't see it happening because look what happened to Build Back Better. Remember Build Back Better? Remember everybody was saying Build Back Better, Build Back Better? What the hell happened to that? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, and now people, they might have even alluded to this into the intercept. 
article, it's like everybody's admitting that that was just a total disaster, you know, that that never even left the port, you know, it sank at the docks, basically. And why did it sink at the docks? Because the people running the Rockefeller Republican Party, aka the Democrats, people running all these agencies and departments and so on, they're not bright, they're not tough, and they can't deal with stress. And COVID's made them very, very lazy. So I just see nothing but bad luck coming for, you know, it's like musical chairs, right? The Rockefeller Republicrats were sort of driven out of the party in the 60s by the whole Goldwater-Reagan faction. But then they decided, well, you know, they were fighting to gain back power. And they said, well, why don't we just take over the Democrats? Because that party's a mess, you know, <laughs> we'll just take that party over. But they didn't realize, that, you know, one of the reasons why the Democratic Party was a mess is that it's not really a party, it's parties, you know, it's sort of this conglomeration of all these different parties with all these people who essentially hate each other. And they just hate middle America worse, you know what I mean? But mm. it gets to the point, they're not going to be able to handle stress. The media is fucked. Um, <laughs> No, seriously. I mean, I know. Uh, all these companies have lost half their value in the past year. Netflix has lost 70% of their value in the past year. And Netflix was, that was sort of like the showpiece for woke capitalism, right? Right. And this sinking faster than anyone now. And they put all this woke crap on. People hated it. People left the service in droves. And now they've lost 70% of their value. If you invested in Netflix back, couple of years ago, you've been wiped out. You're gone. Your money is just gone. And God forbid, you know, you have Netflix in your 401k. It's just gone. It's over. So they're raising interest rates again. <sighs> you know, millennials and Gen Z is just, you know, I'm a Gen X. I grew up in the 70s, well, 70s and 80s. I was very aware, you know, I was very aware from a very young age. And, you know, I remember what the 70s was like. You know, I remember like government cheese and food stamps and all this kind of stuff. I don't think most people your age or younger have any experience with that. They don't have any experience with like real major want. And I don't know if they're going to be able to deal with it. Well, people should start armoring up themselves right now. That's what I would say. I mean, we probably have a long tail on this collapse and you got time to grow some fruit trees and get yourself some land and get out of the city. Get and... out of the city. Apps, everybody, anybody listening to this, if you're in a city, get out. <laughs> Any city. Any city, get out. Yeah. Cities are going to be the absolute worst place to be in the next five to 10 years. I agree. I mean, it's going to be worse than the 70s. I mean, I remember like the 70s, like what New York and Detroit and Philadelphia and, you know, all these major cities were like, and they're all reverting back to that mean. If you're in a city, get out. Get out of the city. I'm not kidding. I'm deadly serious about this. Get out. And, you know, if you can homestead, do it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just a tough go. It's a tough life. It is, but having nothing and never being happier is a tougher life, I think. And that's the, the life that's being presented to us. So 
I think that the multipolar world is going to be a good thing. You know, I think that when we're not wasting all our money trying to enforce our will militarily on the entire planet, I think we'll have a lot more money to like fix all the bridges and the subway tunnels and all that good stuff. It's going to take some pain to get there. But I, I'm not a I'm not a pessimistic person. I'm always like a long run optimist, you know. And it, I think a lot of it just has to do with the fact that I'm 55 years old and I've just kind of seen a lot, you know. And I see the cycles, I see how things repeat, and I've studied history. So it's just like nobody can tell you that things are going to be a okay for the next few years. They're not, particularly in the next two years. But on the other end of that, I think things are going to correct themselves and we're going to sort of return to, you know, I'm not saying we're going to return to the fifties or the forties or whatever, but I think we're going to return to a world more like a multipolar world where people make things at home and grow things at home and not like expect peasants down in El Salvador to grow all their food for them. <laughs> Yes, I agree with that. I'd say maybe you could use the term sobering up. We're going to be sobering up from all these uh, lofty, unrealistic, unsustainable ideas that we've been living off of. And, uh, you know, the corporate technocratic teat is running dry. And so we're going to have to stop suckling at it quite so much. But I appreciate your insight as always. As usual, there's just so much content that we talked about talking about today that we can barely pack in the cliff notes to some of this stuff. But you've blogged for so long, connected all the synchromistic dots, and you provide a great service to humanity. Thank you. I'm glad you finally did put the Patreon together because you should be compensated for all that work. And it seems to be going really well and has allowed you to do these deep, live streams now it's really great and i hope people will hop in there if they want more of what you do anything else to leave them with um get outside fair enough go outside listen to this outside fresh air sunshine work wonders they really do yeah it's good medicine take care of yourselves and love people yeah and hold the people who you love close to you Sounds like well, it sounds like a greeting card, but the reality of it is far more powerful than you can imagine. Right. Well, I know you've been freelancing for Hallmark, but you, know, you got a lot of irons in the fire, man. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I do appreciate you. You're the best. I am so lucky to be able to have you back as often as I can because it's just uh, some of my favorite interviews to do are talking to you and preparing for them is a lot of fun because your work is so vast and, and enjoyable, but keep up the great work and take care out there. Thank you, sir. There it is, guys. The man, the myth, the legend, Chris Knowles coming in hot on lucky number 11, always with more notes than we can get to, but hey, conversations are organic. You can only do so much. Lots of little things left on the table. We didn't even get into Bruce Willis and his retirement over a pretty odd neurological condition and the career sinks he's had with the larger Web of the Siren. Obviously, his first big movie was Moonlighting with Sybil Shepard, born in Memphis, of course. 
but Bruce retired from acting recently because of a rare condition called aphasia, a condition that was defined in a paper November 17th, 2017, Jeff Buckley's birthday, same date as a PlayStation game called Apocalypse starring Bruce Willis that came out years ago. And the sinks with his career really do keep going, but this condition he has inhibits the ability to understand speech and language, which also sounds very Liz Frasier if you've heard her lyrics. She's known for being notoriously hard to decipher, but go check out Chris's Bruce Willis post if you want the full rundown. Maybe Hollywood itself is just such a dark place that most people have some sort of downfall, but more specifically, it starts to feel like what an actor chooses to represent the themes, the characters, maybe it can all come together to alter one's fate. But the overall message to me was less dark and dreary than it could be. It depends on how much stock you put in the artificial things, I guess. Because artificial things are collapsing. Did you buy into the false promises of the big machine? Because it's going to be a sad day when you realize that was all a sham. He's right, though, that we are here for these times, so let's be creative as to how we navigate them. And maybe America does have a good opportunity to find its way if we can focus on the right things. We didn't make all the points we might have about woke culture. Maybe some people are exhausted by that conversation. But Chris certainly called out the get woke, go broke perspective before I heard anyone else saying that. And just look how bad these companies are doing in some cases, worse than they've ever done. Another great presentation he did under the Hidden and Plain Right banner is on the Goddard Tunnel. And I think we've all seen that creepy opening ceremony at this point, but in terms of it being a ritual, one aspect I thought was interesting was the QAnon shaman as a representation of Pan, which we see in that ceremony. But the Goddard Tunnel thing was carried out on 6-1, and what's the date everyone's up in arms with that features the QAnon shaman? 1-6, of course. So there it is, forward and back, cause and effect. There's a lot more to it, but that layer and the date, pretty interesting. So much stuff, but that is the show. If you liked the first hour, you know you would like the second. We have so many great full episodes in the archive. Get in there. Today we talked about Chris's Stranger Things theory of everything. Of course, we had to on lucky number 11. It's a shame it took us an hour to get there, but we also talked about Dr. Bender, Wonder Woman, and Dr. Bender's Crimes Against Children. That gets pretty dark. We talked about Damien Eccles, the West Memphis Three, High Magic, and Druidic Bog Sacrifice. Pretty much as dark as it gets, but that fits right into Stranger Things because that new character who's a little erratic and is kind of framed for a situation, is based on Damien Eccles. We talked about the Washington Post, wokeness and collapse, and that whole little dust-up that happened, the hierarchy of birth privilege as opposed to competency, and the strange ongoing story of Ezra Miller, the guy who plays The Flash, or did, because I think that is all getting burnt to the ground right now. If you know, then you know. But free seven-day trial, one of the most convenient and friction-free systems in podcasting. Take a few seconds and join the club if you find this show to be anything close to special, and you'll be in awe of all the extra stuff that comes out week after week in these full episodes. 
I've never heard someone say, you know what, you don't really add that much to the second hour. I wasn't really missing anything. It's always a surprise, a pleasant surprise as to how much content is really packed in there, but you just don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you're missing if you've never heard a full episode. You can pay with card, cash, or crypto. I don't care. And you can use PayPal by signing up through Patreon as well. Also, check out Chris's Patreon if you really want to get some deep exposés on all sorts of things. He blows my mind every week. But that's it for me. I'm currently on the road trying to pump out one more show, and it seems like we just did it. (laughs) I so wish Chris could have joined me and Gordon in Austin, but hey, I had my chance when they were both at the Aeon Byte event in Mexico. C'est la vie. Next time, I guess. But take care of you and yours. It is getting hard out there for a pimp. I've done my part. Your move, ritual web weavers, woke virus super spreaders, and entitled technocratic tyrants. Your Sometimes when I get down, I eat a bunch of corporate junk. Processed stuff that makes you fat. Yeah, it's a weak and sickly people making industry. Don't Technology, and every now and then I try to quit and leave it be, but it's too hard to turn it off. It's getting worse, and yet it's learning. It's learning. is another show complete remember as much as you enjoyed this which is just the free first hour i hope you'll become a plus member to hear the full two-hour interviews you also can engage with other plus members in the comments and the forums 
And you'll find your answer to one of the most common questions I get, which is where can I find those cover songs that you use at the end of the show? Well, they are free downloads for Plus members too. And without Plus members, I can't hire the occasional musician to bring these odd cover song ideas to fruition. Plus members are how I'm able to do what I do without ads and without the big machine being on my back. We can fit so much more into a two-hour interview, and I do my best to make it worth your time and money. The conversation only gets deeper, weirder, and more controversial in that private hour. How could it not the way things are going? But the best way to sign up is at thehiresidechats.com, where new first-time subscribers always get a free seven-day trial because I'm just that confident. There's no PayPal on the website, but if you need to use PayPal, then sign up through Patreon and you get all the same episodes. Our website is a credit or debit system, but you can also scope out the other options like a few various cryptos, cash or check, mail to the P.O. Box. And I'll even barter with most people if you have your own business and produce something nice that my wife or kid or taste buds might like. But the architects of consensus reality have made it clear that these themes and topics aren't really welcome on the main stage. And so this is how we secure a little counterculture corner for ourselves, and I hope you'll join Plus because that is the only way it works. Besides, you can cancel anytime right on your profile page. The most common concern I hear is people just being unsure if THC Plus will work with their podcast app, and the answer is probably yes. But if not, we have several high-level app recommendations for whatever phone you use, and the website is made for mobile too. We're trained to tip a waitress for bringing us a sandwich, but that tip doesn't give you access to a second sandwich. Really, I'm not asking for any more than that, and I think I offer a better service. Come get your second serving of tasty conspiracy goodness in exchange for that small token of your appreciation. Beyond that, let it also be known that we have grown and survived as long as we have by word of mouth. I don't care so much about social media likes or follows, but tell the right people about THC. And not just listeners, but the high-level figures who are better suited to sit down with me than most other hosts. And if you can help me with any of these things, I can work to bring you better shows, which is just a win-win for both of us. Informative, entertaining, and action-packed. It also never hurts to thank a guest you liked if you have the time either. We want them to know people are listening, so they're willing to come back down the road too. Thank you for spending some time with me and cheers to a better tomorrow.